I'm delighted to turn with you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we will read these familiar words, verses 13 to the end of the chapter, 1 Thessalonians 4. Let us briefly pray. Our Father, we are completely in your loving hands. You have given to us your word, and we do not doubt your love. It's proven in the cross. And we ask that as we think upon the return of our Savior, that you will enable us to dwell upon this great theme with anticipation. May every Christian heart be comforted. May we be instructed. But we also pray, Heavenly Father, that those who do not know you, who may be in our midst today, that they would see that this coming king will come as judge, but now is held out grace and mercy for all who believe. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Thessalonians 4, beginning with verse 13. This is the word of God. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first." Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. People of God, Jesus is coming again. That's the promise of Holy Scripture. The Old Testament prophets spoke wonderfully of the return of Christ and the consummation of history. Most often, the first and second advents are spoken in one breath. Isaiah 9 tells of the birth of the wonderful child and that the government will be upon his shoulders. Our Lord gave to us many precious promises of his return. We might turn to Matthew 24 or Mark 13 or several of the parables that relate to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I always think of John 14 as the most tender and wonderful of his promises in which he tells us, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. These promises revolutionize the Christian's view of death. Our Christless culture either masks death with levity or falls into complete despair. But notice verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The Christian has hope, and of course hope means the certainty of the promises of God. The Christian approach never trivializes death, 
Death is the result of the fall of Adam and of all of his posterity in him. But we live in joyful hope of his coming. We live as Christians with many precious promises of an undefiled and unfading inheritance. The Thessalonian Christians need instruction. They had been awaiting Christ's return with great anticipation. It has not yet happened, and a number of their congregation have died. Will they miss out? Will the bridal veil be exchanged for a shroud? Paul finds it necessary to instruct them in the Christian hope, and he does so with two primary encouragements or comforts, and I want us to see those two. The first comfort is the comfort of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see it here in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You know, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead just does not control our thinking as Christians as it should. If you read the epistles of Paul or all of the New Testament for that matter, you see that this This constant emphasis is upon the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it should be the emphasis of our lives as well. Our hope is found in those two poles, the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. Now, children, when I was a small boy and I was sitting in worship and the pastor preached, for example, on Easter about the resurrection of Jesus, I said, come on, Uh, bodies don't come out of the grave. I was the number one skeptic in the congregation, a little unbeliever, heathen that I was. I didn't understand these things at all. And I said, well, surely we could say in some sense he was spiritually raised or something of that nature. But when God converted me and showed to me the truth of his word, it became apparent to me that the Bible is saying just what the pastor had said. Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead, and that is the hope of the believer in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if you go through life without that hope, you're hopeless. The only way in which you can have hope is if you know this Christ who rose bodily from the tomb. It's the turning point of the ages. It's the proof of the deity of Christ. It is the proof that God's wrath is at an end for all of his people And it is the guarantee also of the resurrection of the Christian in the last day. Now, that's what Paul is saying here. Jesus was not abandoned to the grave. He's coming again, and the dead in Christ will rise. That's why Paul uses the word sleep. Notice in verse 14 how he says at the end, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, he's not talking about soul sleep here. The soul does not sleep in death. Sleep refers to the body here, not to the soul. And in 14b, we see that Christ brings the souls of believers at his return to be reunited with their resurrection bodies. So why does he use the term sleep? Well, it's not a euphemism. Paul means to teach us something about the Christian's body at death. The body of the Christian is said to sleep for one simple reason. Sleeping people wake up. And that's what he wants the believers in Christ to hear and to know and to count on. Paul, Paul connects the resurrection of Jesus from the dead with the resurrection of the Christian's body in the last day. He does that in many places. One of the most wonderful is in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 
That verse is familiar to you, but it's a verse that contains a profound thesis. Um, It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits, of course, means the first portion of the entirely anticipated crop. And so what Paul is saying is, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the first portion of the entirely anticipated crop has already come. In other words, to put it differently, your resurrection has already begun because of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Believer, your resurrection is not only assured because of his resurrection, but in principle, in the resurrection of Christ, it has already taken place. It is that certain. That's a remarkable thing, is it not? So Paul's connection is quite wonderful, and in 1 Thessalonians... There is no reason to be uneasy about your Christian loved ones, he is saying, because Jesus rose. They also will rise when Christ returns in glory. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, the Apostle Paul has something wonderful to say about this. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And so our lowly bodies will be transformed resurrection bodies when Jesus comes again after the pattern of His own resurrection body. Now Paul says this is an encouragement. That you should take comfort from this. This should pervade your life. It should fill your heart. Those Christian loved ones that have gone on before you, you will not only be with them in soul when you die, the time will come in which you can embrace their bodies. They are in union with Christ. And because Christ rose, there's the promise they will rise as well. But there's a second encouragement, and it's the comfort of Christ's return. Look at verses 15 and 16 in 1 Thessalonians 4. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now the term he uses for coming is familiar to most of you. It's the term parousia. And that term is sometimes used, often really, of a king or an emperor that would pay a visit. And so we have the return of the king of kings, the emperor over the kingdom of God, and he is coming again. By the way, the idea that this is a secret rapture and that the world will not see or hear it and that there are two future returns of Christ and two different resurrections is far into the New Testament, even though it's popular all over the radio and in the Left Behind series. There is one return of Christ. It will be bodily and visible and immediately followed by the final judgment. The separation of body and soul are not permanent. Death is the prelude to resurrection. Christians who are alive when Jesus returns will not precede those Christians who are dead They will be raised and reunited to their souls first. They're given priority, he says. Take comfort from this. No Christian will be left out. Look again at verses 15 to the end of the chapter. Just listen to these words. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. You see, they're given priority. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So what will happen when Christ returns? Well, the text tells us of a number of things. There are other things, of course, in other texts, but this text tells us some very important things. What will happen when he returns? Well, first, Jesus will come with a shout of command. Now, I hope when you read the Bible, you use your imaginations. Can you imagine the shout of command that will be so loud that the dead in Christ all around the world will hear it? What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful truth. A shout of command. It's monumental. And the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. It is Christ, the same Christ who died for you, who rose, who ascended, is the Christ who bodily will return. As Ellicott puts it, his own august personal presence. A mighty summons. Think of Jesus before Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus, come forth. And I always think of some of the old theologians who said it was a good thing he was specific or all of the dead would have come forth. Only now think of something greater because the resurrection of Lazarus was a resuscitation. This is a resurrection, the body raised and glorified. This shout of command points to the fact that the New Testament teaches that the return of Christ will be public and open. And so Jesus returns with a sovereign summons. The word means a military command. Jesus came to earth the first time in deep humility. As we go into the Christmas season, we underscore the condescension and the humility, the humiliation of our Savior. But when he comes again, he comes as conqueror. So there's a shout of command. The second thing is, with the voice of the archangel, and of course the scriptures teach us of only one, and that is Michael, the archangel. Michael wars against Satan, according to Jude, verse 9. And Paul is telling us that the voice is one of victory. And again, here, I always think of Jacob Epstein's bronze sculpture that can be seen at Coventry Cathedral with the archangel Michael uh, having defeated Satan under his feet. Uh, And that's a great thing. And then thirdly, there's the trump of God, we are told. He comes with a sound of trumpet. Now, what does that bring to mind as you think of the Bible? Well, it brings to mind the Old Testament holy warfare. Think, for example, of the trumpets that were used by God to bring about the fall of Jericho, but also the trumpets announcing the year of Jubilee, the year of freedom, so that trumpets were used to announce freedom and deliverance and redemption and victory. Trumpets accompany revelations of God, such as the law at Sinai, and this will be the great revelation of the sun in the last day. Roman soldiers use trumpets to strike tent, to form lines, to announce a march. And all of these things may have come to various minds as Paul wrote these words. But keep your finger here and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 
And notice how the Apostle Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and following. He's speaking of the same event, the return of Jesus. And these wonderful words should accompany our thoughts this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 and following. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's the sound of the trumpet and what God accomplishes through it. So the trumpet sounds the everlasting jubilee of which Leviticus 25 was just a type and a shadow, the final revelation of the Son of God. And then, fourthly, we are told in 1 Thessalonians, for the dead in Christ shall rise. They will rise before the living believers are changed and caught up. Far from being left out, they are given priority, which Paul says should be a comfort to believers. Just as God spoke and the world first came to be, so the Lord Jesus will speak and new creation will be constituted. Who will be raised? The Bible teaches a general resurrection of the dead, but here the focus is on the redeemed, those who know Jesus. And it says, the dead in Christ shall rise. Believers and unbelievers die. It all looks the same, but they're not the same. The believer's body is in union with Christ. So when the believer's body is put into the grave, you know, I'm always amazed when I, I sometimes hear Christians talk to their children. It's just a shell. The soul is gone on. No mention of the resurrection. We should say this. Look. The Lord has constituted human beings, body and soul, and sin has brought about death. But Christ came and conquered death, and that body is precious because the Lord Jesus not only died for that relative soul, the Lord Jesus also died for his or her body, and that body is precious. And when that body is placed into the ground, it's like a seed going into the earth. It's going to sprout. It's going to come out. And you know, that body is in Christ. That's what Paul says, in union with Christ, in Christ. And because that body is in Christ, the Lord watches over every molecule, every atom, loves and cares for that soul, loves and cares for that body. By the way, this says something about how we should treat the body at death. That maybe is a topic for another time, but you think about it with great reverence and great respect, the dead in Christ will rise, believers and unbelievers, even though it looks the same, it's not the same. 
the believer will rise incorruptible. We will be like the Savior in his resurrection body. So use your imagination, people of God. The Lord himself descends from heaven with this great shout of acclamation and victory. And there is the sound of the trumpet. And those old moss-covered graves in some of these beautiful old cemeteries will open up. And the bodies will come out. Every little molecule and atom brought back together by the sovereign creator who made it to begin with. And the soul and the body reunited up there with Christ who has returned. Uh, What a miracle awaits us. But then, fifthly, the church meets the Lord in the air. The verb means to seize or carry away by force. Nothing's going to stop him. Why the air? Well, Ephesians 2.2, Satan is called the prince and power of the air. When he takes us in the air, it says the victory is complete. After this, the judgment takes place and the evil one is destroyed forever. So let nothing dampen or remove this comfort. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we are told there are scoffers who scoff at the coming of the Lord. It's not happened yet. Oh, they scoff. Well, listen, folks. If you trust in the risen Christ and believe that Christ has been raised from the dead, it's not a stretch to believe He'll come again and raise His people. And that's what Paul is saying. There's this union between Christ and His people. His resurrection means our resurrection. So let nothing dampen or remove that comfort. Now let me bring a few final thoughts and implications. Don't think it's brief because I say final. But here are a few thoughts and implications. First of all, he says these things should be a comfort. Look at verse 18. Therefore encourage one another with these words. We're to be encouraged, you see. The Thessalonians really loved one another. They needed more knowledge, a truer understanding of what Paul taught. The dead will enjoy Christ's return along with the living. They should be active in encouraging one another, and so should we. And that means that we should encourage one another on the deathbed not to fear death. You don't have to fear death if you're a believer in Christ. Now, I'm not saying there's an there's certainly there's going to be some sort of anticipation. I'm going through something I've never yet experienced, but that's quite different than fearing the result. We don't fear. I think I've told you about Henry Venn, haven't I? Henry Venn, 18th century preacher in the Evangelical Awakening in England. As he came to his deathbed, he was so thrilled he, he, his his pulse would race. His doctor said, "Mr. Venn, if you don't stop being excited about seeing Jesus, you'll never die." <laughs> Every time he thought about it, he'd feel his pulse and it would just be racing, you know. So there's a certain way in which we should anticipate. Yes, even if God chooses to take us through the grave, we will be with Jesus. Our bodies are, are in union with Christ. There will be the resurrection at the last day. So we needn't be overburdened with loss. Now, the operative word is overburdened. Of course we grieve at death. It's right to weep and to grieve because death is the result of sin. The Christians, however, our outlook is just different than the, I mean completely different than the outlook of the world. The world is hopeless about these things. Neglect of these truths, you see, would be a great loss for us. Because we are called to live in these realities as believers, and we're filled with 
biblical Christian promise and hope. So we needn't live as if life were meaningless. Why? Well, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And that's the fact that interprets all facts. When Paul speaks of comfort, this is the strongest possible contrast with the paganism of his day. If you've read any of the inscriptions about death in the ancient world, they're absolutely hopeless. And yet here comes Paul the Apostle in this pagan world, and he he says, we don't fear death. And not only that, we have the promise of the resurrection of the body in the last day. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Christ is risen. A future is given with the past. A future has been given with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so we are not alone. He's with us. He walks with us. He promises us. And here we have a final supreme manifestation of the communion of the saints. You see, they were concerned about their loved ones who had died. They really loved one another. And Paul says, look, that communion is not going to be broken. Now there's a lesson here that even the smallest little Christian here can learn. And that is we should care about our fellowship one with another. And we should love one another in the body of Christ. No Christian here is too young to learn this or too old. But then, just to say briefly, the coming of Christ also promotes holiness of life. Now, I could take you to passage after passage after passage in the New Testament that connects holiness of life with the return of Christ. In other words, what the New Testament is saying is how can you anticipate the return of the Holy Son of God and it not produce holiness in our lives? But we don't have to look all over. Just look at chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, and let's read a few verses there. Chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now that's the unbeliever. But you are not in darkness. He's speaking now to us Christians. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, all right, here's the application. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might Live with him, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So he says the return of Christ means don't sleep but be awake, be sober. Don't be drunk like those at night, but be alert. It produces holiness of life. And every generation of Christians is called to keep on the alert and to live as if this will be the generation in which Jesus comes again. 
But now let me say something to the unbelievers who may be here this morning. Did you notice how he puts this in the opening verses of chapter 5? He says it's going to come when you say peace and security, when you are asleep, when you have no, no awareness, like a thief in the night, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Sudden. And they will not escape. And so, if you are here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ... The scriptures say that he will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. And we say that with the deepest compassion. We are saved by grace, not by anything we've done. And so we speak to the unbeliever and we say, you need that same grace and you need that same Christ. It's only Jesus that can save you from your sins. Jesus and Jesus only. You know, Jonathan Edwards' great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, I think, I don't know if they do it in high school, they used to give a snippet in high school, and that's all you thought Jonathan Edwards was, a preacher of wrath. But maybe it's a good thing it was read. Maybe it planted a seed. I'll tell you something about that sermon manuscript. I've never seen it myself, but I know some who have. You want to know something about it? Page after page of that sermon manuscript is tear-stained. Do you know that? So we speak to you with the deepest compassion within our hearts, and we call you to faith and repentance. Because there is justice, there is a just God, there is a holy God, there is a day of judgment coming. You know it. Eternity is written in your heart. You know. I don't care how much you suppress it. You know when I speak of the judgment, that day is coming. It is indelibly written on the heart. Even when you sometimes cry out for justice, what you're acknowledging is there's a day of judgment coming. And so we call you to believe and to repent and to trust in Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. And uh, read to you from one of our great reformed confessions, the Belgic Confession. In order to bring this to a conclusion, it's the Belgic Confession 1561, um, written during the time of the Protestant Reformation. And it's Article 37. It's entitled, The Last Judgment. And it's a great summary of what the Bible teaches about the return of Christ. Will you listen? Finally, we believe, according to the Word of God, When the time appointed by the Lord, which is unknown to all creatures, is come, and the number of the elect complete, that our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven corporally and visibly, as he ascended, with great glory and majesty to declare himself judge of the living and the dead, burning this old world with fire and flame to cleanse it. Then all men will personally appear before this great judge, both men and women and children, that have been from the beginning of the world to the end thereof, being summoned by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the trump of God. All the dead will be raised out of the earth, and their souls will be joined and united with their proper bodies in which they formerly lived." 
As for those who will then be living, they will not die as others, but be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and from corruptible become incorruptible. Then the books, that is to say the consciences, will be opened, and the dead judged, according to what they will have done in this world, whether it be good or evil. Nay, all men will give account of every idle word they have spoken, which the world only counts amusement and jest. And then the secrets and hypocrisy of men will be disclosed and laid open before all. Therefore, the consideration of this judgment is justly terrible and dreadful to the wicked and ungodly, but most desirable and comfortable to the righteous and elect, because then their full deliverance will be perfected And there they will receive the fruits of their labor and trouble which they have borne. Their innocence will be known to all, and they will see the terrible vengeance which God will execute on the wicked, who most cruelly persecuted, oppressed, and tormented them in this world, and who shall be convicted by the testimony of their own consciences, and will become immortal, but only to be tormented in the eternal fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels." But on the contrary, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor, and the Son of God will confess their names before God his Father and his elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes, and their cause, which is now condemned by many judges and magistrates as heretical and impious, will then be known to be the cause of the Son of God. And for a gracious reward, the Lord will cause them to possess such a glory as never entered into the heart of man to conceive. Therefore, we expect that great day with a most ardent desire to the end that we may fully enjoy the promises of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And the entire confession of faith, the Belgic Confession concludes with Revelation 22.20. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. And God's people add their Amen.